Well, everybody, welcome to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. And uh, I am so excited today to have a good friend of mine, a retired Navy SEAL Master Chief, uh, 27 years as a leader in the SEAL teams. I've gotten to know Stephen, and oh my goodness, his outlook on life and leadership and a definition of what a warrior and warrior toughness is that is just actually, it's something that actually became so powerful for everybody, not just elite special forces, that the Navy built an entire program around some of the work that Steve was doing. And now he's out in the world just reshaping how people can lead with courage, especially today, what's going on in the world. Leading a team right now is harder than ever, especially even a lot of the dynamics and the how people are showing up. And uh, man, it leading has gotten harder, I, in my opinion, just observing my own team and then teams I'm working with. But uh, first of all, Steve, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks so much, Rammer. It's, you know, I'm thrilled to be here. We were talking a little bit before this. So uh, great day. Great way to start off my day with you, buddy. Well, I couldn't be more thrilled. You know, even getting up this early to talk to you, totally worth it. And I got an extra cup of coffee. And I'll never forget when I first met you, I, I everybody, some of you guys have heard through the journey. I, I decided a long time ago, hey, I need to start doing more speaking. And I, you know, I was okay, but, you know, I, I needed to get better. And I said, okay, well, who's the best out there? Who can help me take my game, you know, from a C plus to an A? Is that even possible? Well, as I did my research, um, I called a, a guy named Michael and Amy Port. And I said, you know what? I, would you guys help mentor me? He's one of the absolute best in the industry. And they have a program called Heroic Public Speaking. And I went through like a two-day workshop just to see if this was a good fit for me. And I'm like, oh, this is it. And I said it was a year of actually coaching, flying out to New Jersey. Now, in that, everybody there kept talking about this Navy SEAL drummy. Drummy this, drummy that. I'm like, okay, I got to meet this guy. And finally, because you were like in a different group than me. And Steve, you came out. And we went together and we had a bourbon and we sat down and had dinner and we're like, we had an absolute ball. And I got to hear uh, Drummy speak and I was blown away, first of all. And I, at the time, you did not have a book and everybody's hearing what you're speaking. I mean, you're doing keynotes all over the country, all over the world right now. You are one of the most, I think, compelling speakers I have seen out kind of, you know, in the keynote world in a very long time. So, and I know, you know what? That is a result of putting in a tremendous amount of work. There's no doubt about that. So that said, uh, everybody's telling Steve, you know what? You got to write a book. And Steve had been planning on writing a book about his life in the military. And it's called Life on the X, uh, Navy SEAL's Guide to Meeting Challenge with Courage, Confidence, and Readiness. And Steve, I want to go backwards a little bit. But before we do that, for you, what does Life on the X mean? Yeah, so the X is a military doctrine term. So my brothers and sisters in the ground units, the Army and Marine Corps, it's a doctrine term that essentially means, for simplicity's sake, X marks the spot. So if you fast rope out of a helicopter onto a rooftop of a building, you're assaulting, we refer to that as landing on the X. We also use it if we're patrolling along, we find ourselves ambushed by the enemy, and we're in that kill zone. In that case, we often say, hey, we got to get off the X. But that X represents kind of what is often the most vital, often the most dangerous part of a combat operation. That's what we gear our training to. We benchmark those moments because if we can execute at a high level, if we can succeed when it's the most dangerous, when it's the most difficult, everything else that we do should happen more seamlessly and more routine. And the simple fact is that while 
most of us every day are not getting shot at. We have those moments in our life, you know, whether it's a pitch, whether it's a presentation, maybe we're a, a new leader leading for the first time, we've got a project, or even in our personal lives, right? We have a, a maybe a child at home, maybe a health crisis. We've got to successfully navigate those. And we want to set the table for success well in advance. We want to look ahead and identify potential challenges and situations, key opportunities, and really say, what do we need in terms of skills, resources, and how can we best prepare so that we walk into that situation and we're truly ready? And walking into a situation truly ready, and I, I think, honestly, you know what? When you're not ready or you don't feel ready, that's actually when you start to have, I think, the anxiety, the stress, the fear. And a lot of us are like, well, how do I get ready? Like, how do I prepare for that pitch? How do I prepare for that key interview? How do I prepare for maybe that kind of that challenging, difficult conversation with that coworker, that person that maybe needs that feedback and nobody's really wanted to give it to them because of, you know, how they show up in those situations, things at home. You know, I've raised three teenagers. That's kind of like daily, you know, there's always <laughs> yep. somewhere around when there's a teenager. But with that, I'd love to bring you back a little bit and just tell us a little bit about kind of this people love to hear. And I love when you share some of those stories about this whole career, how you even got into special forces, how you chose SEALs and some of those things that kind of shaped what you're doing today. Yeah. And so I, in high school, I, I'll go back even further. As a young kid, I always was I was always connected with that sense of service. You know, back when I was a kid growing up in the 80s. I really looked up to the Vietnam veterans, especially like the Army Green Berets. I, I didn't know what Navy SEALs were back then until years, a few years later. And I always thought I was going to be on join the Army. But I had an uncle who was a retired naval aviator and then an airline pilot. And he was kind of always nudging me towards the Navy. And I read a book about SEALs in Vietnam. And I was like, man, this is really cool. I realized it's one of the toughest selection and training uh, pipelines out there. And I said, well, you know what, if I could do this, I really proved something to myself. And so I really set down the path in high school to start moving out to be a Navy SEAL. And I joined, I enlisted uh, right out of uh, high school at age 18. I was really, really bad at math. <laughs> so I actually missed qualifying for the program by like a handful of points. So I ended no up working on submarines in Connecticut for two years until I was able to retake the test and then make my way out to Bud SEAL training in 1995. And fortunately for me, I was able to make it through the first time. So what do you, you know, you hear a lot about Buds and SEAL training. What do you think the difference was or what allowed you to get through the first time? Yeah, I will say there's luck that my body held up, you know, for one thing. But overall, you know, when I would coach and mentor young men and women that were basically had contracts to the Navy's boot camp, which is one of my last assignments. They had contracts to go to programs such as SEAL, diver, air rescue swimmer. And the one thing that I discovered as I was coaching them that not only got me successfully through that training, but also through my career was the level of commitment, right? And that's coincidentally, right? Or, or not coincidentally, but that is the first part of my book, commit. What are you willing to do? What are you willing to invest to ensure your best outcomes in the moments, the events, the situations that really matter to you, matter to you know the loved ones in your life. What are you willing to do? You've got to be fully committed. You've got to be all in. And what does that actually look like? And we get down into that. But what does that actually look like to make sure that we're fully invested into the actions and behaviors that are going to enable our success? And that's the difference maker. For me and probably for most is that level of commitment. You simply want it more, uh, more often than the people to the left and right of you. 
So if you're going to show up to anything that is going to be hard and take a ton of work, whether it's in business or the military or marriage or whatever, and I'm like, I'm going to try it. I'm guessing your opinion is it's probably not going to have a good outcome. Yeah, the old college try, you know, that may work for a few things. Right. And it's the same thing is in the moment. Right. One of the things you and I learned, you know, that was drilled into our head when we showed up at Heroic Public Speaking is you don't wing it. There is no winging it as a professional speaker. Your slides go down. Guess what? You don't need them because you memorize your speech and you just drive right through it. Whatever contingency, whatever happens, you've put all the work in. And it's the same thing for everything we do in life, whether it's a big moment or whether it's just like, hey, I got to help navigate my high school kid through a really hard time. And I know this could maybe be a heated conversation. So let me put some thought into it in advance to make sure that I'm acting and behaving in a way that affords me the best chance for a good outcome. Yeah. And I love what you said about commit and the way that you laid it on your book makes so much sense to me because they're like, yeah, of course. Yes. I want that. The question is why, what does it do for you? Is it an alignment? Are you willing to go find somebody that's done it and say, okay, this is what Steve did to become a uh, just a world-class speaker or become a SEAL. but And then are you willing to examine what they did to get that result? And then ask yourself, am I willing to do what they did to get that? And then you got to commit. But it's hard to commit without knowing, I think, your core values. We've talked about that before. What are your principles? What does this do for your purpose? And I love how you – so you're, what you laid out in the book is almost, here's the stuff you got to think through – that allows you to get to that place where you go, yeah, no matter what, I'm not quitting. I'm pressing in, even when it's uncomfortable. And I want to ask you, what is it about, you started with values. What is the reason you started uh, at that spot to kind of go through this process? Yeah. Ultimately, values is one of the components in the first part of the book that leads you to being a person of character, right? Person of good morals, that can also lash up values with ethics of the organization or communities that they serve. But it's got to start with values. You have to know, and you'll hear some psychologists that will say, hey, you've got your values basically instilled by the time you're you know, five to seven years old. And I don't like to align with that because that kind of presupposes a certain outcome that's embedded in you. And I choose to believe that no matter how you grew up, you know, because you see this all the time, you see people growing up in the most horrible circumstances, yet they have somehow managed to elevate themselves to be people of strong character, of high morals, and conduct themselves ethically in, in all situations. So it has to start with values. And you have to say, okay, what are my personal beliefs? You know, what do I really, how do I want to be seen? How do I want to show up in this world? And often the, the most difficult part is, well, what are my values? And so you've got to do some work to figure out what those are. And there's a couple of processes that I use to kind of discover what those values are. And then once you figure out the values and then you say, okay, well, what do I do with these? Well, you've got to take principled action. So you just establish, you distill those values and beliefs down into principles. And from those principles, I like to have people craft a personal mission statement where it lists the most important principles. Now, we can't have a thousand, otherwise we water it down too much, but pick the ones that you really feel closely aligned with and create a statement. When you're clear of thought, when you're free of stress, you create that statement and you know it so well that every day you're going to cast a vote. And I don't remember who used these terms. I didn't come up with this, but you cast a vote either in favor of that person that you want to be or against it. 
So always think about that and ask yourself reflectively, was I that person? Am I that person in my mission statement? Oh, I love that. And every, you know, and every day you cast a vote and, or you lay in bed and go, you know what? I did not cast a vote today, but you know what? Sitting and down on myself tomorrow, right? Tomorrow, my intention is to, you know, cause we're going to mess up. Uh, but you know, I was curious when you were talking, what are some examples of principles? If you, I know you've done some coaching, you do a lot of speaking, you went through this yourself. I work on my values and now what are those principles look like for somebody? And I think the easiest thing is you don't have to have just one mission statement, but the one I can share right now is my professional mission statement. And it's not sexy, right? It's not particularly profound, but it works for me. And that's what matters. And so I say, Hey, I'm a professional. I work to get better every day. Even if it's just a little bit, when I'm faced with challenges and obstacles, I don't crumble, but instead, no matter how difficult I see opportunity in every moment, in every situation, I exist to be of service and I do for the people to the left and right of me. And it, just as you described earlier, am I that person every single moment of every day? Of course not. Why? <laughs> because we're human and we stray from the path. We fall short. But it doesn't mean that we're frauds. It's easy to maybe just throw our hands up and say, well, we're frauds, we're imposters. That's an easy kind of impulse to feel. But what I always say is, no. You get down, you first, you hold yourself accountable. You got to hold yourself accountable for your actions and your failures, but then you got to forgive yourself, right? And maybe nobody else will, but you do because that's the only way to move forward. And there's no choice. We can only move forward. So get back in that path to bring you the direction and the place you want to go. You know, in some of those times, I'm sure both in your career, even your transition to civilian life, man, there was probably some of those times where that step forward almost felt like, it was beyond your capability or it's just like, man, this has been hard for a long time. Do I want to take that next step? Sometimes we just want to hit pause. What's allowed you to just keep taking those small steps forward when it's been really hard? Yeah. And I, I'll go back to that. Like, who am I? Like, what do I exist right now? What is my sense of purpose? And, and you're right. You know, after I basically, I had been speaking a little bit before I retired but I wasn't really officially out in the space. I didn't want to really have a, a website launched until I re retired from the military. I retired in December of 2019. I was hitting the ground running, had some speeches booked and, and then COVID hit, right? And like everybody else, sometimes we were, were really like, well, what am I gonna do? Right away, I'm tearing up checks, advanced checks for speaking gigs. And unlike many of our colleagues who've been doing it for a number of years, I quite frankly was not prepared to swiftly pivot into doing virtual presentations. And so I struggled with that. And I'm like, well, what are we doing here? You know, and then I realized that you gotta be more than what your specific task is. And this is when I coach young athletes, you know, you're so committed to a sport and all of a sudden you get hurt. Well, you gotta be more than that. I gotta be more than just a speaker on stage delivering. And more than that to me means I have content that I think is worth sharing with the world. Now, let me figure out, a different way that I'm going to get out there. And that way for me was to simply call previous clients and say, hey, you know, how can I help? I'm not looking to be paid, but I'm looking to see if I can add some value on your calls or your Zoom calls, your conference calls. And they took me up on it. And that was a way to say, hey, all right, like let that purpose drive you and that everything else will kind of take care of itself. 
you know, I think uh, what you did there, right? I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm not going to focus on me right now. I'm going to actually focus on just adding value, serving in the world, helping people that have actually helped me because they've paid me in the past. And I honestly, I, I think that's a, a key to why you rebounded so quickly because of your focus. It wasn't a right when I think you're almost in like the mode of just trying to build yourself up and do it for you or what's in it for me. And, you know, colors, why you make decisions. I've just personally never seen that lead to anything elite. No, and, and that's right. And, you know, but we can look at this in terms of everyday business too. And uh, I interviewed a, a guy and I don't think his story made it in the book, but I definitely want to save it for something else. But he was a chief commercial officer for a, a medical device company. And he basically told me, and I've seen this, you know, when I, there is one story that's similar to this is that his best sales reps that go in there and engage with the doctor, engage with the customer, when they lead with providing value, value over product or service, that leads to a stronger relationship. And so their sales reps, it may even go in and sit down in front of that doctor and say, you know what, after talking, my product is not the right fit for you, but I know what can be. Here is this, this, and this that I can point you to. Maybe it's a competitor even. Well, now you've established a relationship beyond being transactional, and that will ultimately lead to benefits, most assuredly down the road. And so I try to keep that in mind when I do business with people. So everybody listening, just think about this, right? You know, the we all want to have success. We all want that success to lead to significance. You know, here's a question for you, Steve. Let's just say I'm mid-career. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, right? Like, I'm just, it's a grind. Like, I'm just going through it. I saw somebody recently almost go through this process you're talking about to reconnect to their values, their principles, their purpose. What are their passions? What are those things to, you know, that bring them alive? And they said, you know, what if I could bring elements of that into what I'm already doing instead of making a big pivot or quitting or just sitting here and just getting ground down to a nub, you know, week after week. And they were able to completely transform how they were showing up because they were showing up for the right reasons. Have you, yeah. have you seen that also? I've seen that. I think, you know, probably not as much as you described, but what I will say is, you know, it's easy. You'll hear this out in social media. You don't like what you're doing. Just pivot and go do something else. And, and that's great. And, you know, when the, jo the job market, your skills are in demand, then you can easily do something like that. But now if you're looking at maybe you, you know, you're, approaching middle age, you got a couple of kids you want to put in college, you know, it's easier said than done to just say, hey, you know what, I'm just going to quit doing this. You know, maybe you can. Maybe you have the, you know, the financial situation allows you to do that. But for many of us, we can't just, we have bills to pay. We have people that we need to provide for. And so we got to find a way to make it work with what we're doing, right? And that really, ultimately, that depends on the organization often that you work with. Are they open? And a lot of organizations today are. Are they open to not just like flexible work hours where I show up to the office maybe two days a week now, but also a way that maybe I can find a way to be given latitude, autonomy to do the things that I enjoy at work. And, uh, you know, I hear a lot. Sometimes I talk with CEOs and they talk about we talk about purpose. And they seem almost exclusively focused on that, that social element. Well, we're going to take money and we're going to donate it to this cause. Oh, we're going to let the employees donate money and support this cause. 
Well, I'm not saying I'm not discounting that, but really I would rather see an organization help validate or revalidate purpose in the workforce for the work that they do, for what that company does for the world, tying their contribution to what that company is able to offer and do great things for the world. I think that is maybe often the thing that's missing. Uh, it almost sounds, yeah, uh, like they're searching for what's that thing that would almost sound good, right? Almost the sound bite. Like, hey, oh, wow, that company does these cool things versus, hey, how do I really take care and connect with my people? How do I make sure their mission is connected with our mission? And in that, then if we're giving, we're doing it from a place of authenticity versus a marketing campaign yeah. or a misplaced heart even. Yeah, and often that's the problem. It just doesn't feel authentic. You're yeah. checking a block. You're like, oh, this will, I'll look good in this area. Uh, certain elements of my you know, work population will, will enjoy this. But at the end of the day, we know that people will stay at your organization in today's day and age, only as long as you give them the type of feedback that they can action. And only as long as you will continue to pour into them and develop them. If not, if you can't offer those things, if you can't tie the work that they do to something better, then they're going to head for the exit. You know, that's an interesting insight, right? Because I see that when I see these companies, I call them loudmouth frogs, right? And they're doing things just to uh, almost build their brand. They, and their heart might be in the right place. But I see other organizations that their generosity in the community is coming from their core mission and who they are. And they're not talking about it. They're not bragging about it. Other people are starting to because of the impact they're making from a place of doing it for all the right reasons. And that comes across to me completely differently. And you know what? It's no different of us as an, as an individual. If I'm doing things for the wrong reasons, because I think it might get me something versus coming from the heart, uh, very different. But okay, so we talked about commit. And guys, uh, as you read this book and some of the stories you tell from your career in combat, I had no idea. I started reading this book and I'm like, holy buckets. Like I had dinner with that guy. I was like, uh, so you kind of been there, done that in a way that most of us can't even imagine. But you, so you guys are committed. You're all in. You're in the field. And now you got to prepare. So you guys just got handed a task order. I would love for you to share kind of that process that you would go through in the teams and then how you kind of translated that to how we can use it, that exact same process kind of, you know, in our world, our business environment. Yeah, I will use my very best effort here to make this as succinct as possible, right? And the final word on my tagline is readiness, right? And in the military, and you can identify with this, you know, but in the SEAL team specifically, you have typically a 18-month uh, workup, right? So you have, that's broken up into kind of three stages. Throughout, you as a unit, as a troop, as a platoon, as you go through, you're assessed a higher level of readiness, until finally you get to the ultimate level of readiness before you were certified to actually deploy overseas. And so as you're doing that, you know, the first part of that, the first six months of that training is a lot of just individual, like you may go to sniper school, breacher school, free fall, jump master, other kind of certifications. The middle six month is what we call unit level training. That is where you use the basic skills, right? The land warfare, urban warfare training, diving, um, the other marine operations. And then the last six months is kind of custom tailored to what you best anticipate your job is going to be when you deploy overseas as best as possible, right? And so you work with different assets. So let's say you go overseas to do a combat zone and you're given a particular mission 
task. And often, let's say I need to go into this valley in, let's say, I don't know, wherever it is. I use Afghanistan, for example. I need to go into this valley and there's enemy movement in there. They are terrorizing the local populace. They're using that terrain to launch attacks on coalition forces. And you say, okay, your commander will give you the commander's intent, which is, okay, at the end of the day, this is what needs to happen. After you do an operation to shape that environment, these are the effects that you need to have on the battlefield. And from that, you develop your tactical plan. You do your walkthroughs. You do your contingencies, contingencies by phase. But the whole point of that is often that the commander will give you constraints and limitations. You can't do this. This is the box you have to operate in. But within that box, I want you as the unit leaders to be able to use the most creative solutions and be able to adjust within that to deal with the changing environment. And so we're very deliberate. And that's the big thing. And if you look at my book, it's got some of my stories, but they're also stories from professional athletes and business mm-hmm. leaders, yep. other military folks. And the number one common thread is that people that are successful at that highest level, they're very deliberate, they're very intentional, they're very analytical with what is coming over the horizon and how they're going to marshal resources, uh, gain knowledge and align skills to be able to put their A game in that moment. So that was a lot there, but yeah. Well, I love that. And you know, one thing I want to focus on in that, because really the first 12 of your 18 months is really focused on uh, mastering, I mean, the basic, right? Being brilliant on just the blocking and tackling. You said you did it with speaking. You know, what does that look like for us? Why is brilliant on the basics? Even if I've been in a career, you were in 27 years. You still have to go to a workup, right? You don't get a pass on the workup just because you've had seven or eight deployments, correct? And that's right. And so people often, you watch movies about military special operations. You see the sexy stuff jumping out of planes or kicking in doors. When you don't see, like, for example, we go out on an operation in Iraq, and sometimes we'd have 15 vehicles. Now, The organization required to get radio checks with different electronic equipment that would interfere with our radio communications to make sure that you've got everybody in the right vehicles, you're ready to leave, all your stuff works, you got a good head count, you go to the objective, now maybe you've detained some people, maybe you have wounded, now you've got to reorganize that and you got to make sure that you have everybody, that they're in the right vehicles, that you've got good radio checks again, you've got the nav plan. All that stuff sounds very, very simple, but it takes an enormous amount of work to make sure it's precise and it's efficient. And so one time, you know, at one point early on in my career, one of the very respected senior tactical leaders was briefing us on his deployment where they got hot and heavy with Al Qaeda overseas. I think this was Iraq. And he said, look, he goes, Jens, just to remind you, you know, in special operations, we don't have some magic ninja tactics. Like we're not, there's not some sexy secret tactics that we use. I mean, there's different TTPs that we have, of course, but by and large, when it comes to defeating the enemy on the battlefield, it's because we're better able to more swiftly read the terrain and more quickly apply very basic skill sets and tactics, but do so at a very high level. And so if it's the individual, if you're saying, all right, well, often in business, we get distracted, right? We get enamored with certain processes. We want to be like a uh, a 10th degree ninja black belt and lean Sigma six or some piece of other thing that we want to software, whatever it is, when really we may be better served focusing on the very basic elements and aspects of that particular craft. And that could go as far as as simple as How do we prepare for this next project, this next engagement with a customer or client? And that's very simple. Like, let's create a framework. Let's create checklists, 
Let's say, okay, what are the exact skills? What knowledge do we need to gain? And when we're finished that, well, guess what? We're probably going to have to do this again. Again, another framework, another checklist to make sure they're very efficient in gathering the information that we need so we can distill it down the very next time that we go to execute. And so you do it the same way every time. And that's what these professional athletes do. They take everything and they break it down to the most specific thing, how they pack their locker, what their pregame routine is. And you get enormously efficient. And the thing is, when you walk into a situation, you walk out onto that X, that high stakes moment, you don't have to think about the little stuff because it's reflexive. It's been taken care of. And your focus is on the here and now, on what's right in front of you and on what really matters. Uh, yeah. And as you walk out on the X, I can imagine um, the mindset, the mental skills around, right? The physical, right? The muscle memory, the, the training, check, check, check. Now, all of a sudden, I'm in the situation. I mean, I'm in that meeting, right? I have a make or break decision on how it's going to affect my company. And in your case, right, it was kind of life or death even situation. Now in that, there's mindsets that can help us operate effectively, not elitely. Like sometimes I just want to like get through it. Like I just want to, me and the team survive, right? And there's also mindsets that can just, and you see it all the time when you watch either singing competitions or i was actually watching that what was it the navy seal training the, the ultimate test i don't know if you watched it but it was I a TV show it. to bring a bunch of civilians through um navy seal that they had some special forces guy put together like a two-week course and just to see who could make it and the, the interesting thing to me was physically every single person there could make it but mentally just putting them into a place of mental stress there was a third of the group that literally within 48 hours completely rumbled. I mean, like it destroyed themselves mentally. And another third were like, you know, we got this. And guess what? Almost everybody that was that third that was like, we got this, except for one exception was an athlete. Because, you know, what? they'd already learned how to prepare and think through this. But, uh, you know, as we, you know, kind of toward the end here, but I'd love to get your thoughts on those mental skills that we could use out in business that probably areas that we need to work on. Yeah. And one of the Anthony trucks, I don't know if you know him, but he's one of the NFL players, former NFL players that I interviewed for my book. And he had a coach when he was playing D one ball at Oregon, who said the first time you take the field, shouldn't be the first time you take the field. Meaning if you ever watch athletes, right? If you ever watch the Olympics, sometimes you'll see them doing this little kind of with their eyes closed, kind of doing this dance, right? They're going through the routine well in advance. Now, if I got to go down the hall and get a stapler from Bob, it doesn't mean that I need to leverage every mental skill. But if it's something, if there's a gap in my game where I'm going to go in this situation, I know my hands are going to be sweating, my heart's going to be racing. Let me put myself in there in advance. What does that look like? Okay, well, I need to be very conscious of what my energy is that I bring in there. And so uh, one of the ways we can do that is by part of being brilliant on the basics is our practice, our rehearsal. If you have a pitch or a presentation, rehearse the heck out of it. Help a, have a friend watch you, uh, hit you with questions, figure out what could go off script. The next piece, mentally sit there and mentally rehearse it. Put yourself in there, visualize. What am I going to feel when I walk in there? What am I going to see? What am I going to uh, smell even? And let me make sure that I control it, right? When I go into a situation, things go sideways. We often get hijacked by our emotions when really we're better served in advance by saying, okay, I'm going to focus on only what I control. What I control is my attitude and effort and my sequences and procedures and the things that I train for. And lastly, the self-talk. 
One of the big things that's important is, you know, I learned from athletics is the need to create a performance statement or performance mantra. And so a lot of that, like, for example, sometimes when I go on stage, you can probably hear right now, I get excited. I, I elevate my voice. Well, that can wear people out. So I will think sometimes to myself, especially early on, to make sure that I'm not moving unnecessarily on stage, I will stay planted. So I say stay planted and I will say connect and contrast, meaning like when I say contrast to myself, it's my cue, it's my reminder to kind of make sure that I'm going, you know, more quiet and then elevating when I want to make an impactful point. And that's the same thing. Think about that before you go into your next business situation. Think about those three things. Energy management, you can use breath work to help you out, mental rehearsal to get yourself ready, and the self-talk, that performance statement that's your cue, it's your reminder to snap your focus back on the things that you control. Well, I love that. And, and I got to share, this reminds me of, I had a meeting with somebody recently and just their style and how they showed up. You know, style differences are some of those things that can totally frustrate us, but guess what? The other person's not going to change because it's kind of how they're wired. And I realized this is definitely a weakness I have. And I would not show up as my best self because this person reminded me of somebody who I had a really bad experience with younger in my life. And it, it would tend to push buttons. And I had to sit down though, Steve. It was, I'm just recognizing this now. I had to like sit there and I go, okay, they are going to do this. They're going to keep repeating. They're not going to hear this. They're going to say these things. And how do you want to show up? You got to be, I almost had to like say in the, when that it is going to happen. And when it happens, this is what I want to think. Instead of that, like the thought that leads me down a path to not, uh, the worst version of myself. And then here's how I want to show up and just pre-experience. And guess what had happened? And I was able to see it like almost like an observer. And then I was able yeah. to just stay totally present and calm. I didn't roll my eyes, which is kind of my bad habit, right? And people see that, and man, that'll just trigger people. Sometimes I even do it intentionally, which is being a total jack wagon, right? So I, you know, I got stuff I got to work on. But I love what you just said: is sit down and prepare, rehearse, and you know what? I've also found in business a lot of people don't want to do that because they think you should have you should be able to just show up like you talked about and just create the presentation and go crush it. And you know what? I think that is a, a false belief. Everybody I know who's gone in and crushed it, man, we have rehearsed and we've whiteboarded it and we we bring in people to role play the customer just so it even feels a little bit more uh, like what we're going to actually experience more finally there. Wouldn't you agree, Steve? Yeah. Well, and here's the thing. Often, you know, there's that Mike Tyson expression. Everybody's got a plan to get punched in the mouth, right? And that's not to say you don't have a good plan, but you have a good plan. The better you rehearse, you practice, you go into that situation, all of a sudden you get a curveball and you got to set that plan aside or, or for a second, you're so confident in that plan that you don't have to be like, all right, I got to say this and I got to, this is my talking points. I got No, you're not thinking about that because that's going to just be at your fingertips when you need it. So instead you're saying, okay. And again, as I described before, let me set that agenda aside for one second and figure out in this exact moment what best advances, what best helps the people on the other side of that table for me, what best serves our long-term relationships, which will ultimately serve probably my own interests. So let me take a beat, take a pause, and really connect with my environment and be situationally aware. And when I need to dig into the stuff that I practice, it's right there. And I don't have to sweat it. And so we have that elevated level of confidence and uh, situational self-awareness when we walk in. Man, I love that. So guys, Stephen Drum, Master Chief, U.S. Navy SEAL, 
Life on the X is the book. Where do they find it and how do they connect with you, Steve? Yeah, you can follow me on LinkedIn, Stephen Drum and Instagram, Stephen.Drum mostly. But yeah, the book, Life on the X, it's available anywhere online books are sold. And next week, which will be, I don't know when this podcast released, but next week, April 18th, when we're recording this, April 18th, the audio book is released on Audible and everywhere else. And so the book, the, that's available anywhere online books are sold. Go to my website, stephendrum.com, and there's a few resources there, such as the cheat sheet that walks you through the different elements of all the things that are in my books. You can actually mission plan, as well as a after-action review cheat sheet to help you really assess and analyze from your experiences after you execute. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, we actually used that in a meeting um, last week, Steve. It's uh, So guys, get this. Uh, you're going to absolutely love it. And Steve, just as we kind of you know come in here, at the end here, land the plane, so to speak. What are just some final thoughts you want to leave uh, with everybody listening in? Yeah, and that's the basic thing. And I've said it. It's kind of like my mantra, be deliberate, be intentional, right? You never know sometimes the small moments that will impact, you know, that will impact for you, right? It, it may be an opportunity. Don't take it for granted. Don't wing it. Create the architecture that enables your future success. Don't wing it. Create the architecture that creates that future success. So what you do in the present, mastering the basics, get in touch with who you are, your values, your principles, is going to set you up when that opportunity comes to absolutely grab it and own it. Is that fair? That is a great uh, summary, Rammer. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Uh, keep knocking them alive out there, Drummy. Can't wait for our next conversation, man. Hey, thanks so much. It was a real pleasure.